Thank you so much. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and that'll be the last time I say that uh, in this series. We're going to finish chapter 2 today. We'll be looking again at uh, verses 19 through 22, and this is really part 2 of the sermon that I began last Lord's Day on your identity or our identity in Christ. We're in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. And as I read, remember, this is God's word. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Again, that's the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we look forward to a time together in your Word. We know that these are blessed times because it is your Word and because it's a living Word. Because the Holy Spirit takes that Word and applies it to our hearts and uses it as the agent of change in our hearts and in our lives. The Holy Spirit takes your word to show us more of yourself and of your salvation. It takes your word and shows us more of our sin and of your willingness to forgive us. It takes your word and shows us your law and how we can be more obedient to it. And so I pray that you would use your word effectively in our lives today. You would encourage us with it. You would show us good things. It would build us in our faith and strengthen us in our walk with Christ. Help us to understand better who we are in your eyes today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, well, last Sunday we did begin to talk about our identity in Christ. And it appears to me, again, that is the focus of this passage, verses 19 through 22 of Ephesians 2. You see, after stressing earlier in the chapter... That salvation is all of God's grace and received by faith alone. After stressing that we all come to salvation the same way and that because of that we are all one unit or one body in Christ. Paul then goes on toward the end of this chapter to describe who we are in Christ or to give us our identity in Christ. I pointed out two Aspects of that identity last Lord's Day from verse 19. Uh, one of those was we are citizens of God's kingdom. Remember? We were, before our conversion, strangers and aliens to the grace of God and to the kingdom of God. But now, God has enabled us to become citizens with the saints. The other identity in Christ we saw last week was that we are members of of God's household. We are a part of God's family. And we become a part of God's family through the new birth and through adoption. God has caused us to be born again. And those whom he causes to be born again, he adopts into his family. Allowing us to be his sons and daughters. Giving us the privilege of coming before him and crying out, Abba, Father. And so what I want you to see is that as believers, we're in. We're in, folks. We're in the kingdom. 
We're in the family. Fellow citizens with the saints and the children of God, members of God's household. Well, today we come to the third part of our identity in Christ we find in this passage. And that is that we are members of God's temple or members of God's church. Uh, so the three points of reference really in this text to our identity in Christ. Let me personalize that more. Your identity in Christ are the kingdom, family, and the church. God's kingdom, God's family, and God's church. And the more you see how you fit into each one of those, I'm telling you, the more fruitful your life will be as a believer and the greater blessing you will experience in your walk with Christ. Now, it's obvious that this, this image of the believer as a, as a part of the church is the most extensive or the longest in this passage. Really, the other two were just given a brief reference in verse 19. The rest of the text is devoted to this whole matter of your identity as a part of the temple of God or the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it gets its own sermon uh, today. The temple, of course, was uh, the focus uh, of the religious worship for the Jews. Uh, it was a magnificent place. If you're in Sunday school this morning, Gary read uh, from First Chronicles about all the, the rich, magnificent gifts that the people brought for the building of this magnificent temple. The gold and the silver and the bronze and the iron of which it was made. It was there the people met with God. It, it was through the temple the people would bring their sacrifices. It was in the temple that the priests would intercede to God on behalf of the people. It was in the temple where the Holy of Holies was. You know, that, that most sacred of, of places to the Jews, so sacred that only the high priest could enter it, and he only could do that once a year. The temple was a special place to the Jews. But you see, the message of the New Testament is that something far better than that has come. No longer do we go to a physical place or have to go to a physical place to meet with God. No longer do we take a trek to the temple for the assurance that our sins are forgiven. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, one of the remarkable things that happened was the, 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 the thick curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies in the temple was torn in two symbolizing that now God's people had free and open access to God's presence themselves no longer do you have to go through a priest no longer do you have to come bearing an animal sacrifice to present but now you yourself can come and have access to God's presence and to God's throne of grace. And so the temple lost its significance. Well, the temple in that sense lost its significance. You realize where the temple is today? The temple is, is in my life. And the temple is in your life. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
The Holy Spirit, by faith, now dwells in every believer so that now we are, the Bible says, the temple of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Holy Spirit dwells in you? And if you go over to chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians and verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? That is a very special sense in which now, you know, God used to reside symbolically in that holy place, in the holy of holies. Now, God dwells in you, in your life. And because the Holy Spirit is in you, the Bible says you are a temple of God. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit because you have God living by the Holy Spirit in your life even now. But here in our text, the reference is not so much to that individual sense in which we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but to a more corporate sense. You see, not only do we become the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, but we become a part of a, of a larger sense of, of the temple or the church we know as the body of Christ. The temple Paul describes here in our text in Ephesians 2 is, is a spiritual temple. It is the church. Because those who have been converted, those who have been born again, those who have been brought to faith make up the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, and we believe God is in the process of building His church, and that's the focus of our attention this morning. Paul points here to four specific aspects of the building of the church and how we find our identity in that. First, in our text, he talks about the foundation. We, we find that in verse 20 where it says, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, we all know that no building is any better than the foundation upon which it is built. And especially those of us down here in uh, the shifting sands of Mississippi understand the importance of having a good foundation. Most of us can probably tell horror stories of houses or buildings that we've known that were built upon inadequate foundations. When Carol and I were living in Jackson years ago when I was in seminary, my sister was a newlywed, uh, and she and her husband lived in Pearl, and they bought their first home in Pearl. And they were proud of that little house that they bought in which to live and begin to raise their family. Well, over time, they began to realize that the the doors didn't shut very well in their house. And then they realized there were some cracks in, in the wall of their house. And they realized the contractor who built the house did not put under it a sufficient foundation. And the foundation began to shift and crack as the soil moved. And when the foundation shifted and cracked, you know what else shifted and cracked? The house did as well. You see, the foundation of the church is even more important than the foundation 
of the house. The most important part of any building is the parts you can't see. And the part of most important part of any church is the part you can't see. And that's the foundation upon which the church is built. Now here in our text, it says that the foundation is the apostles and prophets. Now some of you may be scratching your heads and saying, well, I thought the foundation of the church was the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're right. In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, Paul says, No man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And of course, remember in Matthew 16, Paul told Peter, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And what he was referring to was not Peter, but himself. And the confession Peter had just made, saying, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus telling Peter, Upon that rock, upon that confession of who I am, that is upon which I am going to build my church. And there's no contradiction here. What did the apostles and prophets teach? They taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. The message of the apostles is the message of the gospel. The message of the New Testament prophets was the message that Jesus Christ had come to save his people from their sins. And so, as Paul says here, that the foundation of the church is the apostles and prophets. He's saying it is the message of Jesus that they proclaim because Christ himself is indeed the foundation of the church. And then the second aspect he talks about is the cornerstone of the church. And of course the cornerstone was a part of the foundation. It was the most important part of the foundation. Cornerstone was the primary structural component of ancient buildings. It had to be strong enough to support whatever was built upon it and it had to be laid at the right angle because the cornerstone determined the angle or the direction of the building that was erected upon it. And now the imagery of the cornerstone comes straight from the Old Testament. Turn with me to Isaiah 28 for just a moment. Because there we find a prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus using those very terms. Isaiah 28 in verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Then if you go over to Psalm 118, find a similar prophecy. Psalm 118. Verses 22 and 23. The stone which the builders rejected 
has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Of course, the builders referred to in Psalm 8, 118-22 were the Jewish religious leaders and authorities who rejected rejected the stone, the, the foundation, the cornerstone. And that's what we find here in verse 20 of our text where it says, Christ himself became the cornerstone. You turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 also. There's a and a lengthy section in First Peter chapter 2, which picks up on that same concept. Let's begin with verse 4 of First Peter 2. And coming to him as a living stone, coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, there's Psalm 118, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, the old Ilaean Zion, a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected... This became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumbled because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. You see, your identity in Christ comes from how you see yourself in relationship to Christ, and especially to him as the true cornerstone. You see, he is the cornerstone for the kingdom of God. He's the cornerstone for God's family. And he's the cornerstone for God's church. But he's also to be the cornerstone for your life. And it's as you build your life upon him, as you allow your life to be directed by the angle which the cornerstone sets. That's when you know your life is being built and designed the way God intends for it to be. Then third, in our text, he talks about the unity of the church. It's obvious in the text that the, 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 the pieces of the building, the parts of the building that, that God is constructing, this church, are his people. We are what he uses. Look at the reference in verse 20, where he says, having been built, refers back to verse 19. What is being built? Well, it's God's kingdom, those in God's kingdom. It's also those in God's household who are being built upon this foundation. Then, If you look at verse 21, it talks about the whole building being fitted together. And then in verse 22, it talks about us being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You might recall that in the first Peter passage I read a moment ago, it refers to, to Jesus as the living stone. We come to him as the living stone, and we are 
living stones. God builds His church out of living stones. What does that mean? Out of stones that are alive. Remember Ephesians 2, the first part, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You've now been made alive together with Christ and you've become a living stone. And, and God uses you, a living stone, to build His church. That's a clear reference, again, to those of us who once were dead, but who now live. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul uses the analogy of the human body, doesn't he? He talks about the individual parts of the body, and, and God places the parts in the body of, just like a, he does in our human body. He places the parts in the church just where he wants them to be. And that's the same thing we see here, where God is using not parts of a body, but he's using stones in a building. And God is the great architect, the great designer, the great builder, and he puts the stones in the building exactly where he wants them to be. Now, obviously, these stones are connected to Christ. They're built upon him as the foundation and built upon him as the cornerstone. But these stones are also connected to each other. The bricks that make up a house aren't just placed in there individually, separately. But they are fitted together with mortar. And as that mortar hardens, those bricks become more and more unified and together. And the strength of that house exists only as the strength of that mortar holds those bricks together. Because that mortar is weak, and if it begins to crack or to give way, what happens? Those bricks begin to separate and divide, and those bricks fall away from the house. You see the analogy that, that Paul is using here? In verse 22, you're being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit what is the mortar that holds the church together it is the Holy Spirit and it is we are united together in him built upon the foundation joined together by a common faith in Christ and by the work of the Holy Spirit in us we find this unique sense of fellowship a tremendous sense of bond that holds us together. Folks, that's the way the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be like this. United together, bonded together by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Built upon a solid foundation. And if you experience that here at North Point, that's why. It's because our unity isn't based upon anything within us, but only by a mutual common faith in Christ and love for Him that transcends, again, any differences we may have with each other. We are united together in the Holy Spirit. He's building us together in the Holy Spirit. And then there's one other aspect of this structure that he 
deals with here and that's the character of the church notice in verse 21 in my text he calls it a holy temple in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord again the temple in the Old Testament was a holy place it was a holy place because that's where God was and now you and I are the temple of God and guess what we're holy too that's what justification is all about isn't it For God declares us to be holy in His sight. Not based upon anything in us or about us, but only based upon the finished work of Christ, the righteousness of Christ which is imputed to us and received by faith alone. You see, the wonder of the gospel is that that Christ covers our unholiness with His holiness. He covers our unrighteousness with His righteousness. And again, the way that I like to say it is this. When we are in Christ, when we're covered with the blood of Christ, when we're justified by Christ, declared righteous in God's eyes based on the work of Christ, when God looks at you now, He no longer sees you in your sin, but He sees you in His Son. And that's the only way that God can embrace you or accept you is because you have been covered with the blood of His Son. You've been declared righteous based upon the righteousness of His Son. And again, the goal of the Christian, this whole matter of sanctification, is to try to make in your life what God has declared to be true in principle, to be true in practice. To live out the holiness and the righteousness that God has declared to be yours based upon who His Son is and what His Son has done for you. We're to be a holy temple to the Lord. And the church is a unique place, isn't it? There ought not to be any other place on earth like the church. And isn't it strange? that we many times make every effort to try to make the church more like the world than the world like the church. I'll say it again, evangelical Christianity has a far too low a view of the church. Far too low. Because, folks, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is where God dwells. This is a holy place. And when people walk in their doors, there ought to be something different here. We don't want to be like the world. There's enough of the world out there. We don't want it here. We want there to be something different here. We want them to realize there's, you know, these folks got something I don't have. And I want it. I hope you see how important what Paul has said here is about your identity in Christ. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. 
You belong to the king. You're, you're a member of God's household. God's and you know him as your heavenly father. You're a, a part of God's church. And you relate directly to Jesus, king and the head of the church. Again, I want to say it. You are in. You are in. You're in the kingdom. You're in the family. You're in the church. It's who you are in Christ. I want that to be a real encouragement to you today. That's who you are. That's your identity. From your heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And we thank you so much for allowing us to be in the kingdom, in the family, and in the church. To know you as our king. To know you as our heavenly father. To know Christ as the the head of the church. Father, we ask now that you bless us as we seek to live out who we are. To be the citizens that we ought to be. To take all the benefits and blessings as well as the responsibilities of being a part of the family and being good members of the church which you've called us. Help us here to be holy, different. People might see the difference that Christ makes in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.